Hi, I'm Michael, and welcome to Beyond the Screenplay. Today, we're doing something a little different. The team is going to count down our top 10 favorite films of the last decade, from 2010 to 2019. I'm here with the team, Trisha Arand. Hello, everyone. Brian Bittner. Hello. And Alex Cayeros. Hi. So what we're going to do is we're going to list out our, our favorites 10 through 4, and then talk about those go around and then we're going to do our number threes and our number twos and then end with our number ones so brian do you want to start us off by listing your number 10 to number four favorite films i'm so nervous sorry (laughs) (laughs) i feel nervous too it's like i don't know it's like a big it's a big thing it's like a really crazy idea to try to pair 10 like a decade's worth of movies down into 10 movies just for the record like and i'm sure all of us would probably say starting off with we like a lot more movies than these. Like, these are not the only movies we like. And it's not that many when you're trying not. to like sort it's through like one a year, a decade's worth of yeah. But that's the task at hand. This is what we've done. This is going to reveal character, <laughs> just like any good screenplay. <laughs> Perhaps the choices we are making, ah, the sacrifices. Okay. All right, indeed. Oh boy, <laughs> uh, Brian, let's reveal your character. All right, that's a big ten four. Uh, <laughs> Just waiting for that one. The, I'm going to kick you. You lobbed the ball at me and it was just floating there. Knock waiting. It down. Movies 10 through 4. <laughs> okay. Number 10, we have Damien Chazelle's Whiplash. Number 9, Alfonso Cuaron's Roma. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Number 8, the Hughes Brothers' Book of Eli. Actually, maybe one Hughes brother. The Book of Eli is my number 8. Uh, wow. Number 7, Alex Garland's Ex Machina. Number six, Nicholas Vending Ruffin's Drive. Number five, Tyrannosaur, the British film, which I believe was directed by Patty Considine, if I remember correctly. Uh, number four, Barry Jenkins' Moonlight. Okay. All, All right. right. Good selections there. So so what was your uh, kind of like criteria? Like what was the hat you put on as you were sorting through and the filtering sorting out? Hat? Right. <laughs> I think... Like anytime I try to rank anything, I don't really believe in ranking. It's like, what's better, pizza, ice cream, or cereal? Like, well, <laughs> yes. it depends. Right? <laughs> They're all like, important. Right. Um, so for me, it's like, yeah, the hardest thing for me was like, what's 10 and what's 11? Like, I think sure. uh, like Blade Runner 2049 was kind of on the list. Yeah. And then I was like, but yeah. I haven't seen it since it came out. And like, I like what it is, but you know, but I think for me, part of the reason nothing from 2019 is on this list is these are movies that have stuck with me. Like these are movies that like, like I loved Moonlight when I first saw it, but I also haven't stopped thinking about Moonlight for like three Mm. years. Like it's Mm -hmm. just, there are some movies that just really stick with me. And I, every time I think of them, I'm just like, (laughs) my experience watching it was great. And when I, when I've watched them again, I haven't watched all of these twice, but yeah, I think that was the big thing for me. It was just, what's a movie that I feel like I could take something from. And that has really lasted in my like soul for a long time. Yeah, I think that I think that's a, a fun way. I feel like it's always when people ask me like what like what are your favorite movies or what are the best movies? I, like I feel like those are two very different questions. <laughs> those are yeah. very different questions, yeah. and it always stresses me out uh, because there's often not a lot of overlap between what I think are the best movies and what are my favorite movies, which I think is kind of what's fun about this. Mm. Well, we all have our personal boxes of like things that we want a movie to do or be or or just like things that we get excited about seeing. Mm -hmm. Um, which sometimes don't exist in like movies that are quote unquote great or, you know, whatever that is. Um, And so I think there's like, yeah, it's for me, it's interesting that you pointed out, Bri, like how many times you've seen the movies on your list? Because that was a big criteria for me. I was like, can I really claim? Yeah. Can I really claim that this is one of my quote unquote favorite movies of this decade if I haven't seen it more than once? Mm. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. Is that just like a poser move? Am I just like, <laughs> am I just like picking something that like everyone thinks is a great movie? Right. But I only saw it the one time, and I was like, yeah, that's good. So I think you only have two that I haven't seen more than once. So well, so for my list, yeah, every single movie on it I've seen at least twice. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Except for one of them, and we'll get to it. But like, okay. it's it's in my top three. But like, okay. every frame of it is like burned into my brain, and and I I feel like it's. Yeah, same with you, where it's like stuck with me completely, and mm. I've only seen it the one time. But okay, so I guess I'll go through mine um, real quick uh, before you before you do your list, which I'm excited to hear. Um, you talk about like what is checking our personal boxes, yeah. you know, and I think like the Book of Eli is probably almost certainly the worst movie on my list. I have questions. <laughs> yeah, but 
I love the Fallout uh, video game franchise, and I love Atticus Ross of Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross. You don't say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and the Book of Eli is this post-apocalyptic, like, basically Fallout the movie with a score by Atticus Ross, which is absolutely one of my top three, if not, like, one of my absolute favorite scores of all time. Uh, so it's like, yeah, the movie is not great. And when I watch it, I'm like, that's kind of a corny scene. And I don't know about this, but it's just like, what are my personal boxes that get checked for me? And I think sure. that that's one of those things that you can kind of appreciate, you know? Yeah, yeah. I think that I think that that's fair. Like, yeah. I don't know if I'll stand by every single one of these as being like a fantastic movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll see. Um, so number 10 for me is Grand Budapest Hotel. Number nine is First Reformed, which I really, really love. Uh, it's a Paul Schrader movie starring Ethan Hawke and um, Amanda Seyfried. And if you didn't see it, it came out in 2018, I believe. I only heard amazing things and I still haven't Holy seen it. Holy It is so good. <laughs> I wanted to move it up on my list. It is just one of those films that's a little bit difficult. And it definitely is a case where it checks my personal boxes because it's wrestling with like religion a lot. We can get into it more if anyone has seen it. I'm guessing from your faces you haven't. I have. Oh, great, Bri. Cool. Um, but anyway, it, again, it's just one of those things for me. Uh, Spotlight is my number eight. Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse is my number seven. Nice. nice. Yeah. Parasite is my number six. Arrival is my number five, mm-hmm. and Thor Ragnarok is my number. Wow, four. nice, that's pretty great. Yeah, okay. just movies that like I want to see multiple times mm-hmm. that are enjoyable and most mostly fun. Like most uh, Spotlight, I think, and some of these other ones, First Reformed, are not necessarily like big popcorn movies that you want to keep watching over right. and over again. Mm-hmm. But a lot of the ones that I again, if my criteria is I've seen them more than once, then it's something that is like not just moving, but also usually lots of fun first reformed is a good example of a movie that i have not been able to get out of my head since i've seen oh, it Oh, it's so good but that final sequence just didn't work for me i was like this is not this does not feel like the movie i've been watching up until now and mm-hmm. it just sort of like it, it goes off the rails in the third act in a way that it's very much trying to right but it just made me go like I can't. I can't. Yeah. For those that haven't seen it, I will explain. No spoilers. It's just like it it veers into like a metaphorical Mm -hmm. area. Very hard. Where like the events of the movie up until a certain point feel very grounded. And then they sort of veer into like a more metaphorical area where they're not impossible to like happen, but they do feel like they're existing in sort of a more like the story almost becomes like a parable in a way that we've talked about a few different times. And so, um, and very symbolic and things like that. But it, again, as it's operating in a religious space, the parable piece of it feels very um, textual, right? Like, so it's, it's like somebody wrestling with his own faith in God and things like that. And so the mm-hmm. parts where it like sort of turns into a parable, you're just like, well, yeah, of course it does because <laughs> it's the Bible, you know, or like it's the modern journey of faith. That's how it feels to me. But yeah. yeah. I have a question. Great. Uh, I'm curious about uh, Grand Budapest. Yeah. Hotel. Is there what? Because I'm always curious with with uh, people's relationships with sure. Wes Anderson. Um, <laughs> this is timely. There's a new Wes Anderson trailer that just came out. There is. Mine is very fraught. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> but yeah, I'm just curious. Like, what what works for you about Grand Budapest? Like, what? Why is that? your favorite of, of his of this last decade well there's not that many of i it. was gonna say like sure, it's just that in moonrise kingdom um so. no moonrise kingdom i think is previous i think I the, the more recent one is um isle of dogs right oh yeah which i have not seen grand budapest works for me on a number of levels i think it's really effective to me in like almost being a parody of himself in like a self-reflexive way but in a way that feels insightful whereas i think something like isle of dogs I really love Moonrise Kingdom for the record, but I do think it was 2008. 2012. Oh, was it? Okay. I almost put it on my list as well. I know for reasons that have nothing to do with what we're doing right now. Well, you made a video about it. (laughs) I did. Yeah, Yeah, that's my favorite of his films, I I wanted. It's one of these situations where I wanted to pick a Wes Anderson movie. I also picked Tree of Life and Skyfall, but they didn't fit. So it's Mm -hmm. like, here we are. Like you want to pick, you want to pick one of these things from this filmmaker or or whoever that you love or from this franchise that you appreciate. The thing about Grand Budapest to me, I don't know. I love the miniatures. I love the cast. I think that like a lot of the way the story like comes together is very effective. And I like the box within the box within the box of the narrative. 
that mm-hmm. to me calls attention to in a way that Moonrise Kingdom sort of does with like Bob Balaban is narrating Moonrise Kingdom and, and sort of like looking straight into camera and talking to you. But I think the thing about Grand Budapest to me where the frame narratives sort of become this meditation on like storytelling itself, right? It's like, this is a story about a story about a story. And like the different characters are reflecting on what this story is. I think that works for me in a way that like, not that, you know, I Love Dogs doesn't fail per se, but that just seems smarter um, in the way that it's employed. And so like when it veers into, obviously like it's a model, you know, and they're going down this, um, sled or whatever in Grand Budapest ski thing in Grand Budapest Hotel (laughs) it's like (laughs) thank you yeah it's that's like well it's a story within a story within a story so of course it's going to be this like whimsical it's almost like a pop-up book Mm -hmm. right and so for me I think it's really widely constructed and uh I like I've seen it a couple times and I, I just like I think it works really well and it's really fun and charming. Um, but I also really love Moonrise Kingdom. And if there were more space on this list, I would probably have put them both <laughs> along with several, many others. Many others. For indeed. the record. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Uh, okay. Alex, do you want to read your list? All and right. Then we can talk it. about your uh, philosophy behind it. All right. Number 10, Inception. Mm. All right. All right. <laughs> Number nine, Mission Impossible Fallout. No. Legit. Wow. I had a Mission Impossible movie on my list and had to had to take it off, but uh, number eight, Scott Pilgrim versus the World. Solid. I was like, yeah. Uh, number seven, Prisoners. Mm. Number six, Midsummer. Ooh, from twenty nineteen. It's just Midsummer, just because there's an A. <laughs> I'm gonna say it the way it's spelled, Midsummer. It's uh, summer if there's two S's. Summer, yeah, it's Midsummer. Whatever. I like to make it sound real foreign. Um, <laughs> number five is the same as Trisha's Arrival. Oh wow, at the same. So good. Is it yeah. also your number five? Um, it is not. And four is Get Out. Okay. Get yeah. Out was also on my original list. Okay. So good. That yeah, is I my think... that is my ten through four. Get Out's nice. definitely one of those ones that swims in my like like eh, maybe if I did fifteen it would be somewhere in there. And, and you know, as far as my rationale, yeah, these are all movies that I have watched multiple times. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I I was I made a longer list of you know several more films, and I just realized like oh. You know, this movie I really liked, but I've watched it maybe once or twice and never again. And all the movies I just listed, I've seen more than twice. I've I've gone back to them over and over again uh, just because I enjoy them so much and they've become influences on me as a director. And, uh, you know, Inception is a movie where, you know, we watched it recently as part of our live <laughs> Patreon podcast. And I was like, oh, this isn't as, you know, this isn't as good as I remember. It, it's, like, it's kind of a mess. It's good but it it was so influential on me sure. for like this last decade like yeah. it, it came out in 2010 and it was it was everything i wanted from a christopher nolan movie and it really it just inspired me in so many ways and so i think i can't deny the impact it had on me even though it is kind of a mess there's something about also your experience watching a movie of course like, mm-hmm. trisha have you seen tyrannosaur no no okay because I, I remember i mentioned it previously in the podcast you're like oh yeah do you think i would like it uh I, I think so, but it's Olivia Coleman and Peter Mullen, who you would who you would know from Children of Men and Ozark. He's Sid in Children of Men, the guy who like. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. And, oh, yeah I remember Sorry, Alex, about we're this. getting back to you for sure. But <laughs> but like Tyrannosaur is one of the ones I've only seen once, and Roma I've only seen once, but it was very recently. Right. So, yeah. but Tyrannosaur like stabbed me in the heart in a way that like <laughs> I can't even get over. It's almost like I really want to watch it again, and I never want to watch it again. <laughs> right. Like I cannot get over my emotional response to watching that movie and like that's there's something to be said for that you know absolutely that's, that's yeah some of my favorite films of all time mm-hmm. are those movies that are kind of difficult to watch again but i just appreciate how they made me feel so deeply right yeah, yeah. i also I mean, love that you have mission impossible on there yes! because like because for me the franchises were hard like yeah. the yes, MCU, so hard, yeah. the mcu and star wars and, and trisha you had thor ragnarok you know and mission impossible i'm like i like these things and i always get excited when there's a new thing or bond like when there's a new thing coming out but is any one of these my top 10 of the decade ghost protocol might actually be my closest because i saw it in dubai at the, nice. at the dubai what? mall next to the burj khalifa oh, what <laughs> That's so, the most, of course, you did. You've done. Yeah. <laughs> That's insane. I didn't. To be fair, I didn't go to Dubai to watch it, but I was in Dubai anyway. <laughs> I fair. could see you going to Dubai no, to yes, watch it. And, and that- 
like, yeah, I picked Thor Ragnarok only because I think we've had this conversation maybe on the podcast before, but like, I think one easy way, if you, if you ask someone their favorite movie, and I used to ask this to like youth that I would work with, I would be like favorite movie. But by that, I mean, if someone asked you at any point, do you want to watch this movie? The movie you always say, yes. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. so many of my movies that I put on this list are that. Do I want to watch Into the Spider-Verse at any moment? Yes, I absolutely (laughs) do. Do I want to watch Thor Ragnarok? Of course I do. Like trying to to think of what those movies are where you just give this enthusiastic yes. You know, my favorite movie of all time is probably Jurassic Park. Mm. And literally any... Anytime someone's like, yeah. do you want to watch I'll Jurassic watch Park? It. Yes, I'll watch it. I absolutely do. Or The Matrix or whatever it is. <laughs> yes, right? yes. What is that new classic for you that you just discover something new in it every time and it just delights you? And, yeah. and some of these films, I admit, are like masterfully made and they're not enjoyable in that way or like whatever. Mm-hmm. They're just difficult, like you mm-hmm. were talking about, Bri. Well, I feel like, but... like Spotlight jumps to mind. As exactly, like, yeah. That's a I rough movie, yeah, but I would watch it always... again because it's so good. Yeah, or, or Arrival, which is both your list and Michael, you've done a video, but like it's not a fun movie. It's yeah. like, but it's a very smart some, movie. Some parts of it are kind it. of fun. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Ooh, but I want to hear Michael's. Arrival was, yeah. It's just on your bar- list. Just barely did not make the cut. Oh. Um, Whoa, no Arrival. 11. Yeah, well, so, because I was, so all these things that we've been talking about as far as like the rationale behind everything but and kind of like you were saying Alex like films that were influential and kind of inspired me as a filmmaker is a big thing but I feel like also I think I kept going to was like what are movies that I remember my experience sitting in the theater like Mm. I remember where I was sitting in the theater like what row like what position I was relative to the screen like something happened that like imprinted that whole experience on my brain. I remember that with every movie because I have a really weird memory. <laughs> I'm like, that movie must have come out in 2011 because I was living in this apartment and that's where I watched it. So if you're not Brian, yeah. which yeah. movies do that to you? Yeah, okay. So number 10, Black Swan. Mm-hmm. Kind of mm-hmm. forward and to the right. Uh, I won't do that for all of them. Uh, <laughs> oh, God. Uh, number nine, Moonrise Kingdom. Number eight, Gone Girl. Number seven, Get Out. This is just like a tour of early LFTS videos. Basically. (laughs) Basically. Uh, Number six, The Social Network. Uh, Number five, Black Panther. And number four, Inside Out. Super legit. Black Panther was sort of on my list, too. I feel like it it was, again, like you were saying, Brian, it's so hard to choose from an entire 22 series film thing. Uh, But but whatever, there's a word for that. We call it franchise. Franchise. (laughs) Uh, Whatever the MCU is. Yeah. Yeah. And like Endgame was kind of close on that because I've seen that twice now. And both times I was like, this is legit. Uh, Mm. But yeah, I feel like Black Panther was just like a very special experience. Right. um, For many, many, many reasons. I want to, first of all, shout out inside out because that's one that I probably would not have been in my top 15 until we podcasted about it. Yeah. Cause like, I love the movie the first time I saw it. And then I remember watching like a bit when I was visiting friends who had a kid and then just sitting down and watching it again and really thinking about what it is and what it does and watching, rewatching your video on it. Like I was like, Holy crap! This movie is really, really good. It's definitely on the movies that were on my short list that didn't yeah. make the yeah, cut. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And I feel like, like you were saying, Brian, movies that stab you in the heart like that. <laughs> I remember where it stabbed me in the heart. Right. And, yeah. and I don't think I've ever recovered from that stab right. wound. Um, <laughs> and I'm definitely looking forward to watching Moonrise Kingdom again when we inevitably podcast about it. It's because, so great. Well, mm-hmm. but I feel like for me, it was that it's like every band you love does that one album that makes you go, "Oh, here's where they started to get." what would later become what you don't like about that band. And I feel Mm -hmm. like I love uh, Darjeeling limited. A lot of people didn't, but I really like how character driven it is and sort of how like kind of serious it is. Moonrise kingdom. I like it a lot, but I also feel like it's where Wes Anderson started to turn and be like, now we're getting into cartoon mode a little bit. And I don't feel like Moonrise kingdom goes too far, but I feel like it's that sort of first hint I got that he was going to. And Trisha, you love grand Budapest. So, but I also feel like, most people would agree that Grand Budapest is sort of like, okay, now Wes Anderson has gone on to like sort of, I'm now making a what you think a Wes Anderson movie is rather than just making a but, Wes Anderson movie. But like there's something to me about a self-reflexive like uh-huh. look at oneself as a filmmaker. Like Wes Anderson had reached a point with Grand Budapest where he like basically knew what was sort of codified about him, but then he sort of decided to turn the lens on himself, which some of our other great filmmakers 
have not have quite failed done. To do. <laughs> mm-hmm. Tim Burton comes to mind. He yeah. he mm-hmm. hasn't quite been able to like look back at himself and be like, so what does any of this mean? Right. Why did I make movies like this? What is that about? Um, and I I like that about Wes Anderson that with at least with something like Grand Budapest, he's sort of like engaging that his own mythology a little bit. Mm-hmm. Maybe I should watch it again, trying to have that framing in mind because mm, yeah because i feel like that that was what you were saying brian of like where he started to become almost like a parody of himself that's kind of how i felt when i was watching grand Budapest hotel but for me moonrise kingdom was like the perfect marriage of his style and story subject agree because it, it's about it just charm it just charmed the hell out of me yeah. yeah i was so charmed by that movie i think it's yeah. like i loved all the kids stuff and then once you have like edward norton being like jiminy cricket he flew the coop i'm like <laughs> no we're in this other weird like <laughs> yeah, yeah. wes anderson cartoon world now sure yeah. sure sure it's like a whole wes anderson is fascinating yeah <laughs> truly yeah hello listener michael here beyond the screenplay just had its first birthday We launched in February of 2019, and 31 episodes later, we're having as much fun as ever, and hopefully you are too. But managing a podcast, a YouTube channel, my personal creative projects, and all the secret projects we can't tell you about yet is a lot of work. And none of it would have been possible if I had not been able to build strong habits that allow me to be truly productive. Which is why I'm very happy to say that this episode is sponsored by Skillshare. Skillshare is an online learning community for creatives, where millions come together to take the next step in their creative journey. And I have a particular class I'm very excited to recommend to you. It's called Real Productivity, How to Build Habits That Last by Thomas Frank. Thomas is a YouTuber, author, and entrepreneur who I've had the pleasure of knowing for a couple years now. He's not only great at being productive, he's great at teaching productivity. In his class, he discusses how to set reasonable and realistic goals, what to do to reach them, how to handle failure without giving up, how habits form, and how to take ownership of yours. I highly recommend the class as a lot of his advice has helped me manage all the projects that I have going on. In fact, I'm literally writing this using an app he recommended and a template he created and shared with me. Actually, right now I'm speaking it out loud into a microphone, but you get the idea. So how do you check out his Skillshare class? Well, the first 500 listeners to use our link will get two free months of Skillshare premium membership. Go to Skillshare.com slash beyond the screenplay to join, and you can start watching Thomas's class today. And once you join, you're sure to find other things you love amongst Skillshare's thousands of classes in writing, photography, filmmaking, and much, much more. Explore your creativity at Skillshare.com slash beyond the screenplay and get two free months of premium membership. Thanks to Skillshare for sponsoring Beyond the Screenplay. Awesome. All right. Well, now it's time to get to our top three. Ooh. Brian. <laughs> so stressed. <laughs> what is your number three favorite film of the last decade? I'm going to give it the name I think it should have and not the name it actually has, which is Trainspotting 2, not T2 colon Trainspotting. <laughs> Wait, this is it? your number three film? It really is. Ooh, I have yeah, you're the only one of the of the three of you have seen. I it, guarantee right? they have not seen, I have it. Not yes, seen it. Not a chance. Um, but they're also they can't be train spotting fans either. I would be shocked. I haven't seen either. It's of a them. movie about trains and finding them. Get out of here. <laughs> okay, Bri, go ahead. Trisha and I have now moved to a secure location. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I don't know why it's hard to explain why anyone should love train spotting because it's the best. But yeah. Yeah, the, the train spotting too was a really interesting experience for me because first of all, I absolutely love train spotting. So just yeah. first of all, the idea that Danny Boyle and Ewan McGregor were getting back together after they broke up. Um and then like they're actually making another train spotting with the original cast. Mm-hmm. And then not only it's a movie that relies on you have having seen the first one in a way that is not the best thing but the movie is about nostalgia and i think that that's what's amazing about it is that they actually have children and younger uh, actors playing them and at it's a younger so age. interesting because danny boyle as a filmmaker his filmography is so eclectic that you don't feel like there's a ton of pop culture nostalgia for like danny boyle himself Mm -hmm. but then also and one thing i love about danny boyle is that he makes these movies and these choices in his movies that that do sort of take you to this other dimension where it's like Mm -hmm. oh now now he's like doing snapchat filters over his actors because 
it's a 2017 movie about 2017 that's also about nostalgia that's also about this other movie from 1996 like it's this Mm. really fascinating thing and we talked about this in before sunset podcast where he took these characters from a movie about being a 20 year old and he made a movie about being a 40 year old like and i think that that is sort of so striking to me that i can watch that movie and be like oh this is a movie about fatherhood and addiction and deciding what to do with your life at 40 when you haven't figured that out yet and it's also about remembering your younger days which in this sequel is literally referring to another movie it's about grappling with your mortality mm-hmm. which is a very middle-aged like thing to do yeah yeah and and it just it, like the music from the first movie is in there and like everything just worked for me in a way that i i saw it twice in theaters and i've seen it once since and i just like i still haven't gotten over it i, I just don't know how it holds up as like a unified film i don't I, again like i said with book of eli i would not argue transpiring 2 is a great movie I just love it to death. Legit. Yeah. Great. <laughs> These guys can't comment. Trisha. They haven't seen it. What is your number three favorite film of the last decade? It's Whiplash, which you mentioned already. Nice. Yeah. Whiplash is the film on my list that I have only seen once. Every other movie I've seen at least twice. I only saw Whiplash the one time. It destroyed me. Hmm. I remember every frame of it. Uh, you made a video, Michael, about the obsessed artist. And... I think a lot of us here would qualify ourselves as <laughs> creative, at least. Can relate to that but a little possibly bit. possibly as like an obsessed artist. Perfectionist. Yeah. Recently on a podcast, I think it was um, When Harry Met Sally, Alex, you were talking about an intractable question, right? Like a question that humans wrestle with that doesn't have a neat and easy answer. And that is a great question to ask with a movie, right? To sort of like grapple with thematically. Whiplash does exactly that. It's like, how far is too far? How much do you give? And how much should you give, right? If it costs your whole life, if it costs you your life, is the art worth it? That's a difficult question. (laughs) Doesn't have a very neat and easy answer. Like when Miles Teller shows up at that concert bleeding because he just got out of a car accident and he's like honestly dropping his sticks and he can't play. And like you can see how important it is to him to play this show. Whoo, that's a very compelling scene. It's everything about the way that the direction is amazing, but like everything about the way the movie is shot, everything about the performances, it's just a phenomenal look at this struggle that we all do of like, how does one balance life and also the creative process? What does it mean to try to be a decent human to the people in your life? Like the, the Miles Teller character in that film is a bad dude to like his father. He's bad to his girlfriend. He's like not a good person essentially. And he's trying to become the J.K. Simmons role who is also like a bad guy, but like, is it worth it if your art is good? I don't know. It's just a really interesting grappling with that film and it's it's phenomenally directed. It's just like a, an amazing screenplay. That final scene. Holy <laughs> crap. The like, final scene. It's, it's- I'm saying. <laughs> Like, I get angry when I watch that scene. Because it's so good. How how dare you, sir? How dare you? Like, it it feels like this is a a random image that I had, but it it feels like a battle scene from like Star Wars. Yes. Yeah. Like, X Wings are flying around and like there's the whole like a dogfight happening, but it's just people like performing and the editing and the, yeah it's i mean the cinematography the yes, edit it, everything it, is perfect yeah, yeah. well yeah. so really we watched it during us. oscar season when it came out and then i remember a few months later several months later i was sitting in my house and my neighbors who i share a wall with were watching something and it sounded to me like a war movie and i was like <laughs> what is happening over there it sounds like there's people screaming there's people dying over there there's like bombs going off that's definitely a war movie and I like went over to my neighbor's place and I looked in through the door and said hi to them. Okay. And- <laughs> you were just spying on them covertly. <laughs> my neighbors are my family. We're like, but like I said, hi. And then I looked at what they were watching and it was whiplash. And I was like, this sounds like a war movie. And that's how it plays. And that's mm-hmm. brilliant because that's, that's what the stakes feel like mm-hmm. when you right. are that invested in something creatively. Oh, so good. Yeah. yeah, Whiplash was my number 11. Ah! And, I, and I had Blade Runner 2049 on my list. And I was like, yeah. you know what? Whiplash gets on the list. And then I was like, Blade Runner can can take a backseat for a second. Alex. Alex. 
Your number three film of the last decade. My number three is Her. Uh, the uh, Spike Jones film course, starring Joaquin Phoenix. Mae Whitman's character from so Arrested good. Development. <laughs> Her? Her? Egg? Uh, I mean, I'm a huge fan of Spike Jones uh, to start with uh, as far as just being John Malkovich and Adaptation being two of my favorite films of all time. So uh, good. And uh, and then there's also Eternal Sunshine, which is the uh, Charlie Kaufman addition to this. You know, that wasn't a Spike Jones movie, but it kind of was in the same family as the being John Malkovich era. And so I feel like her brought those together for me. It was the, the kind of aching, painfully real love story elements of eternal sunshine with the spike Jones direction and also a uh, sci-fi also bringing in this kind of, I, I really appreciated seeing a future world that wasn't a crazy dystopia or a star Trek utopia, but just like, Oh, maybe the future in like, 15, 20 years will just be like normal life. The depiction of AI is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and just also just the world itself. You know, it was, it was LA with, some yeah. more, with more skyscrapers, some more like Asian influence and some more public transit. You know, like it was, <laughs> yeah. it was just kind of like, it, it felt very uh, grounded in a way that was really satisfying. You don't see a lot of you know, design fiction, sci-fi. That's really just imagining a grounded vision of the near future. Yeah. And uh, and then I love the way that he used this sci-fi romance, this AI uh, love story to explore human relationship issues, you know, and th- finding these clever analogs for yeah. for human problems, but with with this AI love story. And there's, there's the scene where uh, <laughs> there's the like, the woman comes to like be like a stand-in for yeah. the mm-hmm. for you know, Scarlett Johansson's AI voice, and it um it would have basically replicated for me was like oh this is like a couple trying to spice up their sex life having yeah. like a threesome or something, but but it was all done with allegory in right. this sci-fi universe. I mean, universe. and then the Blade Runner twenty forty nine, right? right. Like, oh, totally did it like, as well. Steps into that yeah. as well, yeah, yeah. But yeah, just just finding ways to use a sci-fi premise to explore like present day human predicaments. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, and then it goes into even like this kind of transcendent territory by the end where it, there's like an AI version of Alan Watts that's like leading all the AIs into some other dimension and they're you know leaving the humans behind. And I just, I just love everything about that movie and mm. where it goes. And it's just, it's just very me. So I, I really appreciate Spike Jones putting himself out there that way and just going for it. And I think he really stuck the landing with, with her. Yeah, that's one of those movies that like I've only seen once, but it's it's never kind of left my yeah, consciousness. Yeah, yeah. So I'm kind of like if I watch it again, maybe it would make the list, but I just haven't seen it a second time. It's a really good marriage of filmmaker and material. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it, it just feels like through and through. It's a singular vision, and it for me, it just works in all levels. It really does feel like because we we rewatched at least part of it recently and watching it again. I think I'd seen it maybe once since theaters but it, it does feel like it was like made for you like it it's, yeah. text, <laughs> it's an alex movie all it's the boxes in a very movie. nice way for sure but yeah. it's one of those rare films that kind of predicts the future in a way that then is actually just kind of re like directing the future as far as like design language of it reminds me of like minority report where like minority yeah, report yeah, yeah. came right. out and then suddenly everything was minority report and i feel like her definitely changed the aesthetics of design language and right, but what if it was of, this sensitive like human drama instead of this sci-fi action thing? And like the color palettes of and course. just all these things, yeah, mm. yeah. The the creepy thing is that my girlfriend works for Magic Leap, so go on YouTube and look for Magic Leap Micah. They are currently designing. She is basically making the end of the world with the. <laughs> AR augmented reality version of Scarlett Johansson. So you put on glasses and you literally see this AI woman in front of you who you can talk to. So that's not going to go horribly wrong. Yeah. <laughs> Everything's fine. Right. Yeah. Everything's fine. Yeah. Michael, what's your awesome. number three? I don't think this will come as a huge surprise. Uh, my number three is Star Wars Episode Seven: The Force Awakens. Mm. Wow. wow. Okay. Yeah. Number three. I. I. It's. I Explain. S- <laughs> It made him feel it's, like he was watching a Star Wars. It's movie. his favorite uh, yeah. Star Wars movie of all time, apparently. Well, I didn't say that. He said <laughs> you did say that on one of our Star Wars episodes. No, that was not the prompt. I heard him say it. He said right now it's his favorite. He said Star Wars based movie. on which one I enjoyed watching the most. Okay. If I were to watch one today, which one would I put on? 
the Force Awakens, I think, is is probably still uh, still that. Yeah, I, I feel like you know, again, going off of you know movies that you saw more than once. I saw it five times in theaters. I've seen it at least three times. Five since then. times in theaters? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I saw it in every format it was released in. Actually, that is many times. Three D, IMAX, IMAX three D, on film, normal, VHS. <laughs> All the things. Yeah, I, I feel like it it it's one of those things like you were saying, Brian, I can't just justify it as a masterpiece of cinema. It's not Citizen Kane. Um <laughs> truly nothing is. <laughs> indeed. Uh but I feel like it the way, you know, the force awoken in Ray. I feel like it awoken <laughs> awoken me this thing of Michael, like you can't even speak English. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> He's delirious about the Force Awakens. No, it, it it made me feel like a kid again. Like it made me sure. remember that like Star Wars is a pillar of my being. Like mm. it's why I make films. It's why I enjoy storytelling. It's why I appreciate the magic of what sharing yourself in a story form, you know, like the, the power of that and the joy that it can bring. Uh, and so it's, yeah, it's just, it's simply a pure joy ride for me. And so... I, I think it deserves to be number three. Yeah, I think one thing all three of my top three have in common is they are movies that made me go, oh, crap, like I can still love a movie this much. Mm-hmm. So I think we're starting mm-hmm. to get to that age where it's like, look, I've seen 2,000 movies. Like I'm not going <laughs> right. to like be blown away by anything. And then every once in a while you see something that goes, ah, there it is. Yeah, it, yeah, it, it, it reminds you of the love that brought you here in the first place. Mm-hmm. The, the, the non-cynical just enjoy and be happy love. Yeah. Right. But I think the thing. <laughs> but, <laughs> but here's why your opinion is wrong. Star yeah. Wars Force Awakens really yeah. being no, 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 top no, I'm three. I'm just saying, like, <laughs> what, the thing that makes us, like, light up in terms of film doesn't have to be non cynical. It can be something that, like, hits at our cynicism as well, is, is all I want to, like, call out. Sure. Like, a mature adult complex film that, like, hits acknowledges our cynicism and like still gives us something in terms of narrative and still is able to touch us that is the true power of like film potentially like i don't know i i just wanted to push back a little bit not that this is what you were saying sure. michael yeah, yeah. but like it doesn't have to be childlike it can be a very oh, yeah. adult sure. film definitely i mean yeah. prisoners is on my top 10 exactly. prisoners is like, not a pleasant is, film yeah. but yeah. it like right. hit me in my cinema g spot you know like it was <laughs> it, it like it got me Agree. Uh, Oh, that's what I was saying. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like when, for me, it's when film like hits on a like deep truth that we don't engage with. Sure. Yeah. And I feel like that's what I love about Inside Out and why Inside Out makes me cry is like all of a sudden it like hits on this truth of like we need sadness also. Like it's okay to be sad. A lot of those truths that we're talking about are accessible in childhood, but some of them are only accessible in adulthood. I also want to just say that. Sure. Agreed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Brian, what's your number two? Okay, yes, number two. Well, speaking of just having a really fun time, Scott Pilgrim versus the world. Oh, yeah. number two. Oh, yeah. Um, nice. I think, interestingly enough, the trailer for this movie excited me. I had lo- already loved Edgar Wright, and the trailer looked like this looks like a ton of fun. I went to the theater and saw it, as very few people did, uh, <laughs> and I was like, okay. It wasn't quite what I was hoping for. And really? then, yeah, like it just something about yeah, it. Yeah, when I saw it in theaters for the first time, I was, because I didn't expect anything. Mm-hmm. And I was just so blown away. Right. Yeah. I think I was expecting it to be sort of everything I loved about Shaun of the Dead plus this sort of like video game thing. And then I watched it again. And I was like, I was better this time. And then it was one of those movies where like the third or fourth time I was like, boom, click, done. <laughs> and I think part of it is like, Sure, it scratches this video game, like fun kind of itch to it. But then there's this undercurrent that I don't think anyone really appreciates the first time they see it that is about this sort of like 
broken man and like it kind of aim- I think maybe all three of my top favorite are about like an aimless white guy who doesn't know what the hell, <laughs> what the hell he's doing in life and um, again what checks your personal boxes yeah. go ahead Brian but like we talked on our last episode and I know we've talked about this in a previous podcast about Quantum of Solace where it's a movie mm-hmm. about a character who is just dealing with this emotion and I think Scott Pilgrim does that for me where it's like this character who's just in love and he's guilty about what he's doing with his other relationship he has, but he can't help how he feels and he has to like fight to, to win it. And I'm like, wow, there's like this deep emotional element to this movie that I didn't even appreciate until maybe the third time I saw it. But it's also a really fun movie. It's like has a right. lot of like punching Captain America, and you know, um, and and just I mean the cast and the direction. Like Edgar Wright's yeah, a genius. Yeah. He's like a genius. Yeah. I mean, for me that movie was a, like a revelation because yes. I didn't know that you could like plan a movie that precisely. Right. Because I could just tell. Yeah. Because I know it has to go into a movie that's constructed that perfectly. Mm-hmm. How much you have to plan. How much you have to tr- like believe in your choices on set because you can't really change it later like when every scene is like transitioning into the next in this fluid way you can't really like cut out the beginning of the next scene you have to trust that like you can't figure it out in post your pacing is nope. already your pacing right. is already perfect somehow right. and so just the, the the fact that you can make a movie that you already like had figured out perfectly before you even started shooting and then it works just seemed like a miracle to me. Right. Yeah. yeah. And it I is think, a miracle. I, I need a little bit of redemption here just because the very first quote unquote podcast that we released from beyond the screenplay <laughs> is about Shaun of the dead. And I like came down pretty hard on it. But at that time I hadn't seen Scott Pilgrim mm-hmm. and I saw it shortly after we did that podcast and I just like reversed everything that I thought like about everything about Edgar Wright <laughs> and like all of it. I honestly, I love Scott Pilgrim mm-hmm. so much. I'm so appreciative of the way that it's constructed. It's like, it's so brilliantly put together. The performances are genius. It's everything that you're saying. Mm-hmm. Like it was honestly in my top 20. Like I, I was sad. I couldn't like put it in my top 10, but it's a really, really incredible film. I got to analyze it for like a, a video that I wrote for Wisecrack, um, um, which you guys can check out if you want to. But I was just so impressed by the character arcs and the way that it like pushes Scott and pushes Scott and pushes Scott while at the same time. So it's like a very classic character arc in a lot of ways, but it's also just so stylish and fun to watch I and mean, so kinetic and so like yeah oh just, expertly it's, it's put like together pure, it's, it's like pure great. cinema in like this yes, 21st yes, yes, century yes, yes. awesome way it's right. so great mm-hmm. yeah i think i think that's something that most of my favorite movies have in common is like i think my favorite movies of all time are like fight club and labyrinth and american beauty and shawshank redemption and being john malkovich they all have this like thing on the surface that just makes them entertaining and like yes. kind of like exciting to watch. And then they have this emotional undertone that like, like I, I get, I tear up when I watch Scott Pilgrim and it doesn't even have to be like the ending. It's just like random moments. I'm just suddenly like arrested development. Michael Sarah, <laughs> um, yeah. Her? Um, no, but like, like I'm just like suddenly like feeling these weird emotions that I didn't expect to feel the first couple times I watched the movie. And now I'm seeing it for the third or fourth or fifth or 10th time. And now it's hitting me on this other level. And I think it's that's also really just cool. fun to watch a character like Michael Sarah in an action movie. Like, sure. It's mm-hmm. fun. Yeah. It's fun mm-hmm. to watch him like punch people. Him? Right. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Cool. Trisha. Number two. Yikes. Okay. Um, my number two is the favorite. Oh, oh nice. Another short That's list awesome. one. Yeah. Probably no shock if you know me. It checks a lot of my personal boxes. It's a historical piece about a very obscure piece of history, which is something I really love. Um, a lot of what I write is historical dramas. And so talking about Queen Anne, nobody knows or cares about her. Um, and then like this very real thing that happened um but then i love the way that it's approached this absurdist sort of like thing olivia coleman nick holtz everyone is amazing in it i don't know i just as someone who sees historical film get uh sidelined quite a lot as being boring or overwrought 
or whatever adjectives you associate with historical pieces, especially those from like more than 500 years ago. I think people are willing to go with you if you're like, I have a thing from the 1920s and they're like, well, that's not historical. It's the 20th century. We're here for that. But like if you try to pitch something that is you're like, well, it's from 1560. They're like, I'm bored. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, I don't know. I just love the idea of approaching a historical film with a modern lens fisheye lens (laughs) (laughs) indeed indeed and and approaching it with like sort of this absurdist self-aware but also really smart point of view i everything about it i just really love Mm. and i've seen it several i've seen it probably three or four times now i just really like it nice it's great it's like the kind of movie i wish i'd written Mm -hmm. to be honest well i think what's great about it too is that it's an example of the style of the director Really, yes. really matching the content. And ex- Yorgos Lanthimos. Yes, mm-hmm. that's how you say it. Yep. Uh, I just said that confidently. It's probably not right. <laughs> oh, that's that's right. Yeah, Thank no. You. I'm happy you said it, so I didn't have to say it. Great. But yeah, basically, it, I, I I appreciated the lobster. I, like, you yeah, know, and, I like the lobster too, but mm-hmm. and the killing of sacred deer. Like, eh, I don't know. Yeah, that but one. but the favorite it felt like a perfect marriage of of the content Again. and the director. And so I, I, it hit my sweet spot, and I was like, and I, and I liked because there is an absurdity to yes. the culture at that moment in history, in that place and time. And so, yes, bring that absurdity out in with this style. Well, and it also, I mean, you know, without being like sort of diving too deep into it, but like it also highlights the absurdity of like all. Monarchy, like humans, yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. as right. beings, also, yeah, yeah, but but just like, but the, yeah, yeah, but the objectivity the of monarchy, where it's mm-hmm. just like this person has power, why? Who knows? Like yeah. reasons, and, yeah, and so like the dwelling on the rabbits and stuff like that, where it's like this is monarchy, it's just prolific, and who cares why it is? And I don't know. There, there's just like a lot of really smart observation and symbolism, and like all the performances are so smart. And I can't wait to see more from that filmmaker. And um, I don't know. I just love the favorite a lot. Yeah, it's Same. one of those I really want to see again. Yeah, yeah, you really should. Yeah, because yeah. I also just love. I love any time a movie can just be like people in rooms talking and have me on the edge of my seat. Yeah, because it's just like yeah. right. Like someone is telling me a story right now mm-hmm. in the best possible way. And yeah, favorite Agree. does that 100%. Also, Olivia Coleman. <laughs> yeah. yeah. She's so good. That one scene, that one shot. Like mm-hmm. we talk, it's just, it's <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Go from like, eh, she's okay to like, yes, give her all the Oscars. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Alex, number two. Number two is Black Swan. I mean, I love Darren Aronofsky and, uh, this movie was just one of those movie theater experiences that uh, just kind of blew me away where I, it's it's such an intense, weird movie. (laughs) It's, it's the kind of movie that almost, almost like assaults your senses. Like, it's just, it's like battering you with intensity and (laughs) I, (laughs) and I love it. I love movies that do that to me that, that pull it off. And, and I think it's about the same themes as whiplash, you know, as Michael pointed out in his, comparison video it's about that you know just striving for this impossible perfection and i think i love that it explores it through the feminine lens of this this strange uh impossible feminine ideal as embodied by the black swan and white swan of like virginal and innocent but also you know seductress and dark and like you must be all of these things or you're not good enough. And I'm casting the white swan, but I'm also casting the black swan. <laughs> yeah. I could have done without Vincent Cattell telling me that every five minutes. <laughs> I kind of just like when Darren Aronofsky just feels free to kind of like go over the top. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I like how balls to the wall black swan is where it's just the mom character is kind of absurd in her like weird evilness. And it's it's a movie that doesn't worry about trying to like stay too grounded or stay too you know it's really about the just raw emotional like roller coaster that you're on and i think i just like i really enjoy a cinematic experience that just like goes for it and just just throws it all against the wall and it might be almost even embarrassing at times how much you're going for it but if you can like stick the landing which i think it does uh with the finale then 
it, it all works for me. Well, because I feel like it's 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 earned in the text of the movie also. Like it's about someone that's kind of losing their mind. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so like it can go crazy and it makes sense. Yes. It's, like, sure. it's all like feeding the same thing. Yeah. I think Darren Aronofsky, like Yorgos Lanthimos, is like one of those filmmakers who's like, look, we're not really operating in the real world here. Like we sure, are sure. sort of building yeah, yeah. our own reality mm-hmm. and, and you're going to understand that reality in the first 20 minutes and then we're going to just live in that place and i think that's cool paris parasite kind of does that like parasite is like Mm. a sort of stylized to a degree of we are living in this slightly elevated reality but we're not going to stray from that and like we're going to live here and then that gives you a lot of world right it gives you a lot of room to play with metaphor and motif and that kind of thing yeah and i will say that you know black swan was one of the movies i saw when i was first living in LA, you know, the first couple of years in LA and I saw at the Arclight Cinemas, which always has the sound up nice and loud. <laughs> we were pretty far forward also and kind of to the right. Yeah. So yeah, we I think we saw it together. And 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 we I think we talked about this after after the movie, Michael, of just uh how overwhelmed we felt, especially in the finale and like the sound of like the crowd cheering at the end is so loud and mm. so intense. And yeah, it just I I I'm always looking for a cinematic experience in a theater that will just kind of blast me away. And Black Swan did that in the best possible way. So I'm having a flashback to you and me, Alex, walking out of waves recently (laughs) and just being like, oh, now there are bright lights on us and we have to communicate to each other as humans. (laughs) It feels very strange. Waves was also a a, a kind of blasting you with intensity. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Awesome. I'm so curious. Well, (laughs) <laughs> a thing that you were just saying, Brian, when you were when you were talking about uh, your number two, th- that I thought was interesting of like films that express who you are, like kind of like resonate your own stories or your own experience. And I feel like that that's definitely a thing I was finding in Inside Out. And I think for Force Awakens, just to like circle back to that, I think there is that like Ray's journey is she's kind of like waking up and like, oh, I'm in this like I'm in a Star Wars movie. Like, how cool is that? It's like right. basically her journey. <laughs> And I feel like th- that, like, what are you going to say? Han Solo. Yeah. So, like, movies can really express a part of yourself, uh-huh. which is a little concerning. Uh, <laughs> my number two movie uh, is The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, mm-hmm. the David Fincher version. I figured it'd be one of your top three. Yeah. It was one of my, like, Bye. 11 to 15. So how, so, how does The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo express the essence you know, of Michael Tucker? I don't think we need to talk about no, it. I don't think we need to I, think like, about it that much. That's the thing we are here to talk about. We want to know. Uh, Inquiring I mean, minds. So, know. I feel like, Trisha, you were saying, like, movies you wish you had made. Yes. And I feel like the, drag, the Girl with the Dragon Tattoo is that for me, where it's it's all these different things that I find fascinating. You know, it's this murder mystery puzzle movie that I really, really love. Um, you know, that genre. Uh, it has the Fincher precision that like I hits the spot that Alex referenced earlier for me. Uh, <laughs> uh, and it's like, yeah, there's just kind of like how her to me feels like a movie that was made for you. The girl with the dragon tattoo feels like it was made for me. Cause it's also dealing with such interesting, like the dark side of humanity and, I find that really fascinating. We don't really deal with that like on a day-to-day sure. basis, but I always find the more uh, yeah, perverse sides of humanity interesting and that we choose to not interface with them as a society and we kind of need art to explore that. And so anything that goes into serial killers and the way we treat each other and kind of societal expectations, like I, I find that all really fascinating. And even just the relationship between Mikkel and Lisbeth is kind of complex and weird. And mm-hmm. like, of course. There's just, there's so much there that's, yeah, it's it's just expressing a different side of humanity through the awesome, cool, slick lens of a David Pincher film mm-hmm. couched in a murder mystery. Uh, and it's, it's just, I love it. And I, I remember sitting in the theater and just being like, this is just like a, a playground of happiness for me. Like I just want to live in this world and see this film unfold and it keeps going. There's all these acts and there's, yeah, it was just, <laughs> it was just great. It was a movie made for me. And it, I, it really I is. A, it. it really is a tragedy that Fincher didn't get to make the two sequels. <sighs> I agree. I feel like that was also part of his, like it, it felt like sometimes I believe that I can uh, reverse engineer the filmmaker's 
brain and mind while watching a film. Sure. And it felt like Fincher was very excited about the story, the full story that he was about to tell across the three movies. Mm-hmm. And with the opening being images from all three of the story, like it felt like it was Fincher meant to be was, a trilogy. Right. Yeah. Like he was gearing up to tell a trilogy that I think would have been fascinating and amazing. And I really enjoyed the first entry. And then I went and read the books and the second book I think is the best book and it made an amazing movie. So there's just, there's so much tied up in this for me. And it's, it's, I just love, it's one of those movies, like you're saying, Trisha, where mm-hmm. anytime someone's like, do you want to watch Girl with a Dragon Tattoo? Always. The two and a half hour movie about serial killers and like all this disturbing stuff. I'm like, yes, <laughs> yeah, let's do let's it. Let's do it. Christopher Plummer's in it. I mean, it's kind of Knives Out, right? It's just... <laughs> it's Knives Out, yeah. It's Daniel think- Craig trying to figure out, like, Daniel Craig, it's Christopher Plummer's mystery. It's an, also a movie for me that has gotten better on rewatches, but I think it disappointed me a little the first time because you tell me David Fincher and, like, serial killers, I'm thinking the guy who made Seven, and I'm thinking even the guy who made Fight Club. Like, I love gritty David Fincher, this sort sure. of, like... and and present day Fincher is so clean cut and technical and everything <laughs> that I was like, why isn't Girl with the Dragon Tattoo more of an exciting movie for what the what the subject matter is? Like the bad guy dies like by wrecking his car. Like it's like there's mm-hmm. no big like oh kind of moment. And I think that and it's in five acts, which is weird. So you sort of like you think you've reached the climax and then there's another 30 minutes left and everything. So I think it's a movie that is challenging, but also it rewards you when re- when you rewatch it because you're like, OK, cool. Now I know that this movie isn't going to deliver on these certain uh, elements. Expectations. Uh, right. Yeah. But so now I can appreciate what it actually is. And I feel like every time I watch it, I appreciate it more and I enjoy it more and I have more of a. Uh, I'm more entertained by it when I when I watch it. Word. Shall we go to our number one oh choices? Oh my god! All right. I'm so upset. Number Here one of the decade. Number one. Everyone ready? Brian Bittner. What is your number one favorite film of so the you, last decade? So you know all that stuff I just said about David Fincher being <laughs> take it back. <laughs> uh-huh. Being too technical. Uh-huh. Uh, the Social Network is my number one. <laughs> That's a pretty technical one. It is. But I think that compared to Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, which is like a movie about serial killers, this is a movie about computers, computers and like and websites, and, and, sure. you know, sure. um, starring the rich man's Michael Sarah from my number two, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Jesse Eisenberg. No, I, we, I mean, we've podcasted about this one and like, it's no, no surprise that a David Fincher movie with an Aaron Sorkin script and a Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross score is going to be my favorite movie of a decade. Like, I don't know that it's better than the sum of its parts, but it's equal to the sum of its parts. And that's already incredibly impressive. Um, And I, there's definitely a personal box checking where the score came out maybe two weeks before the movie. And I listened to the score so many times that when I saw the movie, it just felt like it was clicking into to what I had heard already. Uh, but also, as we talked about in the podcast, I love this sort of taking this real life character and turning him into this kind of incel, like dark, bad person who you sort of sympathize with. And, and I'm like, as we talked about in the podcast, I'm like, yeah, there are parts of this character that I identify with and that scares me. And then there are parts of him that are he is punished for who he is. And at the end of the movie, he is not satisfied regardless of his money, regardless of his quote unquote success. Um, so it's, it's just another movie that like when I watch, I just feel like it's challenging me and it's sort of punching me in the heart a little bit. And, and I also just enjoy the process of watching it. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel like that's, it feels like a, like a, like a sister almost to Dragon Tattoo because mm. like of course, I mean, yeah. he, he was like making both of them basically at the same time. They're only a year apart, which is crazy. Which is insane. Yeah. Yeah. I was so confused when I heard that Erica from the social network was playing Lisbeth in Dragon Tattoo. Right. And Legit. then yeah. and then that like magazine came out with her in full Lisbeth like costume and makeup on a motorcycle getting a tattoo on her ass. And I <laughs> immediately I was like, oh shit. Like, I am so excited about this character. Now. It's referential mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like Social Network is one of those films that like kind of changed filmmaking for a while mm-hmm. and like how we think about score and like all, all those things. It's, yeah, it's a good movie. Number one, we have our first number one. Trisha, what is our second 
number one. My number one is Mad Max Fury Road. Wow. Yeah. yeah. That was on my short list. It didn't make my top 10. Yeah. It was on my short list. Okay. Oh, right. it's so good. Okay. I don't know. There's just so much that I like about it. It's such a clean, like, narrative structure, but also Charlize Theron and yes. Tom Hardy. Like, yes. oh, so good. And I feel like this is something you should appreciate, Bri, but it, it's just like, it's a franchise that, like, you should know about, but you don't have to know about it to appreciate right. it. Yeah, exactly. Max is an afterthought in this movie. Like, I feel like I just want to see Furiosa Fury Road. Furiosa Road. <laughs> right. <laughs> Fury Roadsa. Continue yeah. speaking. <laughs> yeah, I will support your choice there of Mad, Ma- Mad Max Fury Road because it was just such a pleasure to have this visceral, like, dirty balls to the wall high octane film experience and i I think what made the movie for me was uh charlie's theron like i think just her character her essence her energy and the way the movie even concluded and just the last shot of her like rising Mm. like there's so much in it that was like archetypal resonance in that film of course all the way through that like hit me hard and i just yeah it, it was it was an example of a film that was both doing the kind of nostalgia reboot thing, but you didn't need to have ever seen any Mad Max anything. Right. It didn't matter. It yeah. was just its own beautiful product on its own terms. I mean, and it's a sort of hero's journey where it's like, if you were going to send the hero to a place where they're seeking a thing, send them there, have them achieve it. That's like sort of the goal of the hero's journey. But then like have them come back on the other side that doesn't give them what they want. They have to like sort of reface whatever the reality is. It's, it's the and Dan. So, it's like the perfect Dan Harmon story circle. Exactly it's exactly that. the story it's like circle. They literal. go there yeah. and exactly they turn right around, do the exact same thing in reverse. It's so perfect. It's great. I don't know that it's like one of the best action movies ever made, but I think it might be the best action movie ever made. Yes. <laughs> like it's five. I e- love that. It's Whoa. five years later, and we haven't come close to to one upping it. Yeah. No, I think it's definitely the best uh, Sandy movie of the last decade. <laughs> For sure. What about Force Awakens? Uh, you know, it's also Sandy. there's not as much sand. Sandy. Yeah, the, the the sand prize goes to Mad Max. <laughs> Thank you. It definitely does. It does. It definitely does. One hundred percent. Alex, you're number one. My number one is Ex Machina. Oh. Is that is that your number one? I can't talk about it. I, I don't think it's been on your list yet, right? Uh oh. <laughs> We're too similar. <laughs> um, Ex Machina is a film that I've come back to again and again as kind of a film I wish I had made. Uh, basically, achieving this beautiful, really like expensive-looking science fiction story within this lower budget context with great actors, really a really tight, interesting, like three-way character story in a contained space that like explores these really heady sci-fi ideas, the kind of stuff that I nerd out about, this kind of stuff that I like to read about in my spare time, uh, just all packed into one film. And upon rewatching it, I do get new layers from it. I get new layers about uh, feminism, about like power about there's there's all these different ways to read the film the more you watch it even as simple as it seems on the surface and so yeah i just it's a movie i wish i had made and Mm -hmm. so i therefore have to put it as my number one and i love it as a what if of just like if we're going to talk about terminator or matrix of like the machines are going to take over like ex machina is this like well what if the machines didn't take over by just shooting everything what if they took over by just manipulating you for being a like simple dumb men yeah which, exactly. which, which i find to be much more realistic right, actually right. I, I i think the idea you know, that shot where uh she walks into the elevator and he's trapped in the room and she does not she even can, like zero begging to like be let out yeah and she just has no regard for him as anything that matters it's just it's such a amazing twist ending because yeah the whole movie you're kind of with the male characters and thinking that she is human and her caring for them Mm -hmm. but it's like no ai wouldn't actually care right just you know do what it needs to do (laughs) which is so chilling and beautiful i feel like i should go ahead and just say ditto yeah (laughs) is also my favorite film 
because and I feel like you know I feel like this is why we're friends and why we like making movies together. Yeah, but yeah, it it also checks all the boxes for me as far as like being Fincher esque, but kind of like you were saying, Brian, it doesn't have quite the the over control that most Fincher films, modern films have. Uh, like it's it's precise and clean, but there's still like life to it, and it's. Like you're saying, Alex, it's the sci-fi story, but it's also three people like trapped in a room together, basically kind of a story. And so it's character based, but it's also doing all the sci-fi stuff um, that I find really fascinating and interesting. And the experience of watching it, I, I, I feel like I was swept away the way Caleb, like the movie completely manipulated me. Mm-hmm. It's kind of what, like yes. why I like The Prestige is because... I you know I can watch the prestige and I know that it's manipulating me but it still like works and at the end it's like yeah I do want to be tricked like I love magic tricks and I feel like that's what this movie did for me also is like I kind of did become Caleb and like believe the things he did even though I knew that was stupid and dumb and I was manipulated just the way he was uh and I feel like that experience uh was really powerful also to like to see a movie that had that effect while also doing all these really cool filmmaking things. And I just I just love the three leads as well. Yeah. I mean, just, yeah. Oscar Wonderful. Isaac, I'm in love with him. He's great. Right. He's such a, like, charming bad guy. Like... <laughs> Wait, and he's also... It's also a great exploration of, like, the tech bro. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and I think that was also just really brilliant. And, you know, the idea that, you know, the main... The protagonist hero is this guy who started the biggest internet company ever... And you meet him in real life, and he's actually just kind of an asshole. Right. He's like a douchebag. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Which is actually quite accurate to, to life. <laughs> yeah. Uh, awesome. Okay. Well, here we are. <laughs> we have now counted down all of our, all of our films. Hopefully that was uh, interesting. I'm sure there was... Uh, it'd be cool to... I, I almost want to like create a spreadsheet and see like what overlaps there were between everyone. Mm-hmm. Hopefully you guys enjoyed that. Uh, let us know on Twitter what your guys' top 10 are. Like oh, we'd yeah. love to hear yes. and compare yes. notes. And Please like, let us know. Yeah. What did you think of ours? Indeed. Yeah. <laughs> let, us, let us know your thoughts. Tell us how dumb we are. Uh, awesome. Thank you guys for listening so much and we will see you in the next episode. Bye. Bye. Bye everybody. Bye.